Murder? Mayhem? Mormons? Why not? You know me and my favorite subject, but let's make it a little dicier. Literally. <laughs> I found another Exmo, and we are together collaborating to make Bloody Tales just for you. Blood Atonement, a new series from Unfiltered Rise and Hellfire Agency, where we take you down that murderous path. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll see you there. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Unfiltered Rise and today I have with me a firecracker of a guest Jacob Isbell, Disciple of Christ Channel and how are you today? I'm doing quite well. Speaking of unfiltered, I have my unfiltered apple cider vinegar inside of my mason Ooh. jar. Spring water from the North Ogden Spring. So just for the unfiltered occasion. Thank you. Yummy. I hope it's not gritty. Is it good? No, no it is. It is <laughs> a little bit of apple cider vinegar inside of there. Can I talk about myself? Can I talk about myself? Yeah. Let's so do it. Channel on YouTube called Disciple of Christ. One of the mo main things that I do on there is people's faith journeys, but sometimes I get cantankerous with others on YouTube as well. Um, one Jacob Hansen of a thoughtful faith, one of the corporate Mormons, I will be wrestling him, not a verbal sort of spat sort of thing, a physical hands on one another wrestling match where I get to take home one of his limbs. It will be General Conference Weekend. Roy Utah, Powerhouse MMA. All five foot six of me and my beard will be taking on Jacob Hansen. And if you buy tickets and show up in person, you can tell me which of his limbs you'd like me to take home with myself. So Jesus did get physical. I know that Jacob of the Old Testament did wrestle an angel. So I'm just trying to follow up in that vein of things. I'm a Jesus dude. I've been a lifelong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I got myself kicked out of that church for learning for myself that Joseph Smith was not a Platonist, which is <laughs> controversial to say the least in Exmo and Momo circles. True. We got an Exmo and a Numo, right? You call yeah. call it Numo. <laughs> yeah, Quaku Quaku uh, is the one who coined that term. I think it works quite well. And and the Numo is, I would say, like the like the actual fundamentalist, like what was being taught in the days of, days of Joseph Smith. And, and I, I'm quite convinced that it was the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of stuff that has been added on afterwards, which I, which people should be leery of. Right, right. No, I agree. And I mean, you know where I stand on it. We differ quite a bit, but I think that it's fair to get all the aspects out, especially against mainstream, because we both know that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, well, yes. Well, and for, for would you say that your audience is primarily Latter-day Saint background, whether they're active or, or mm. not? But what, I how, bet they're mostly Christian. I'm, okay. I bet you they're mostly Christian, but I know quite a few have written me and said that they came out of the church. So, I mean, we probably got quite a few Exmos, probably more than I'd, I'd never heard of a new Mo before I, yeah. I met you. So. It's, it's a very recent yeah. term that that's been a that's been coined. I would say this to my to the Christian audience that is listening or latter whatever brand of Latter Day Saint ex Latter Day Saint that you might be. Most of what I do is try to help people turn to the Savior Jesus Christ, and I think that that's found very clearly inside of the Book of Mormon and the and the um the teachings of the Restoration. But there's a lot of horrifying 
baggage. That's just a part of the corporate church today. And, and I think that's what um, makes um, most active members of the LDS church incredibly insecure regarding their teachings. It's And it's it's sad to see that happen because there was only one or two generations ago some pretty strong intellectual uh, horsepower going on from the church, and that has vanished. Right. Yeah, it, it's definitely been watered down as the years have gone through. And I mean, I remember a time growing up in the church, the mainstream Mormon church, that Joseph Smith wasn't a polygamist. All of a sudden, he is a polygamist. I'm not really sure when that changed, but yeah. it it was not always the case um, yeah. I, for, I for me. At least speak to what's inside of the correlated material. So back, before I was even born in the 1970s, the correlation department of the church really wanted to make it so anybody who's getting a publication from the church is all getting things within certain bounds. In the 1990s, all of the different uh, lesson manuals, teachings of the presidents of the church, there was one from Joseph Smith and from Brigham Young and many others, none of them ever acknowledged polygamy going on. The closest that they got was some of the men who had multiple wives at different times because they became widowers and ended up marrying again. President Hinckley was pretty clear with the educational department of the church saying that's one of the things to where if we ignore it, it's likely to go away. They did not understand the implications of the Internet. They clearly didn't have prophetic vision on how people will be able to find original sources and circulate it and make sure that that those who are interested in a particular topic now have a much better ability to learn for themselves closer to the source, if not the original source. So I know you were saying on our last time together that you don't do the Masonic temple rites either, right? Is that part of your church or I can't remember? I, I don't have a church. It, it, in other words, for me, like people call us Numos. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. The biggest, you tell me, would now be an appropriate time to kind of give the background of what my background has yeah. been? Because I think that that would make sense. I think people need to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like when people, when you're asking like, what about this? What about that? It would, it would be important to understand this. I was, my father's a convert to the church. He, um, in his twenties, he was, uh, in the military and it was a, it was a special event from him. He recognized the spirit intervening in learning the truthfulness of the book of Mormon, among other things. It means that myself and my four other siblings, we were raised active in the church. Myself and my three brothers were all returned missionaries. I had my initial come to Jesus moment at age 15. I had to change certain things about my life. I recognized the voice of God via the spirit telling me to abandon my old life and to follow him. And, and I did. I never looked back. It was a very sincere trying to turn my heart to Jesus. And I even remember lamenting because I knew I couldn't be. I knew my own weakness even at 15 that I wasn't strong enough to be a disciple the way that I wanted to be a disciple. And I, I recognize now it's a, it was awareness of the weakness of my own flesh, me and a teenager and, and, and whatever you're dealing with growing up. But I was, um, I was a very enthusiastic missionary as a teenager teaching and baptizing friends. And then from ages 17 to 19 to when I became a full-time missionary, I was living in Southern California. I went out with the missionaries in my ward and as well as the Spanish speaking missionaries, a few different sets of them every day for, wow. for about a year and a half. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm telling you, if there's 30 days in a month, I'm probably out 25 of those days with the missionaries. They got me a key to their apartment and everything else. I read my stuff. I was an abnormally prepared and enthusiastic, sincere missionary. When I was, when I was in the mission field, I'll, I'll just share 
the first time that I actually heard the voice of the Lord, like specifically a sentence, because I felt his prompting since a young age. When I thought in my first area, when I thought I'm going to have a hundred baptisms my first month and then a thousand plus every month thereafter, because the only thing that I had to go off of was the testimonies that I read in the scriptures, the, the, the power of the apostle Paul and others in the new Testament, the sons of Messiah in the book of Mormon. And those are the missionaries that I identified with. So when it's going nowhere in devil's Lake, North Dakota, and I'm about a month into this, I went to my bed earlier than my companion. So he wouldn't hear me cry. And I went to my bed and I knelt down and I started to pray asking heavenly father, why am I a failure? I felt my heart just, just weep because I wanted to be the kind of missionary that I read about in the scriptures. And before I could indulge in the sorrow I was feeling, I heard nine words directly. I am happy with the work you are doing. And it calmed me. It was, it was like the voice of the savior telling the, the sea to be still. I felt it calm my soul completely. And I could not feel sorrow because I realized, well, if he's happy, then that I, that's all that matters. Later on, when I was, um, when I was about 20 years old, about one little bit less than one year into the mission, I recognized I don't understand the atonement the way that I need to, to testify of it. Like I believed conceptually the atonement is what saves us from physical death and spiritual death. And in other words, the, the death of the body and the being cut off from the presence of God. I understood that conceptually, but I recognized there's some spiritual knowledge I don't possess regarding the atonement. And I also recognize I don't, care enough to really ask my heavenly father in faith yet. And so I started to pray every day, heavenly father, please help me to have desire to understand the atonement. And that would be my prayer morning and night. And I, and, and I had already learned how to carry a prayer around in my heart. Heavenly father, please help me to, please help me to desire to understand the atonement. And I prayed for desire. And I think it took a few weeks in a row, but then I felt my heart change. My heart longed to understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I could feel it growing. And only at that point did I allow my prayers to change. Heavenly Father, because I knew the desire was there, please help me to understand the atonement. And I could feel that prayer growing and working as I was a sincere, active missionary. It was around Christmas time in Ames, Iowa, which is a university town. Kale Sanderson was a wrestler there at Iowa State University at the time. My uh, ex-husband's from there. <laughs> there was four from of us. From Maxwell. Dude, it's, it's, Maxwell. it's, yeah. I love the people of Iowa and the corn. Oh, <laughs> it was, yes. it was around Christmas time that, um, that I simply went to bed a little bit earlier than the other three missionaries that were there in the apartment for no particular reason. And as I knelt down just to say my nightly prayer, as was my habit, I got carried away in a visionary experience. This is the first time I had ever experienced anything like this. It enveloped my whole body and it enveloped my whole mind. And I saw in high definition detail, not only seeing, but I, but I could feel things permeate my whole body. I witnessed a small portion of what the savior sacrificed on behalf of me personally. What I saw in, as I was in that visionary experience was similar to a, a very famous painting of Jesus at night next to the olive tree in Gethsemane. And I could feel permeate my whole soul, the intensity of his love towards me personally. You, you probably can relate to the feeling of if you have a child and their, their life is dependent upon your pleading on their behalf, the kind of intensity and love that you would have. I felt that on my behalf permeate my whole body. 
And I heard specific words asking, pleading, saying, I need you to live. I need you to live. And it was somebody who was pleading on my behalf, on my behalf personally. And I don't think it was all that long of an experience, but it was one of those to where the space-time continuum became inconsequential during that moment. And when that visionary experience ended, I realized I can testify differently. I could now say, I know that the atonement of Jesus Christ is real. I know that the Savior Jesus Christ lives and that he atoned for me. And so those are like some of the foundational things that landed me on the rock of Christ at the level that I could handle then. I'll fast forward to where like that level of enthusiasm that, that I'm expressing, I've carried it with me always. 2018, um, 2000, uh, 2015, leading up to 2000, 2015, I'm living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I am so determined. Heavenly Father, how do I help my friends that have lost their testimonies, not only of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but they've lost their testimony of God and of Jesus Christ and everything. And my prayer was, Heavenly Father, how do I reach them? Well, I know the big issue is the history of the church, in particular, what is attributed to Joseph Smith. And as I dug into that history, it got ugly, it got gross, it got uglier and grosser. The history that's attributed to Joseph Smith, for example, there would be an interview on Mormon stories to where here's the accusations made against Joseph Smith. Teenage girls, married women, things like that. Very salacious nature. How do you reconcile that? And when there would be an LDS apologist like Brian Hales doing a response interview, pretty much the only thing that would happen is they would confirm everything and try to put a spin on it. Yes, that's true, but we need to look at it this way. It was horrible. And I did not know how to reconcile. I would recognize the spirit to testify of certain truths when I was a missionary regarding Joseph Smith as a true witness of Jesus Christ in the Book of Mormon as a true record of Jesus Christ. How do I reconcile those truths with this behavior that I'm learning about Joseph Smith? It was disgusting, and it did not get better. It was the lowest spiritual point in my life. I did come to, I did come to the conclusion, all right, Heavenly Father, I feel like there's more that you're going to teach me, and I should keep moving forward. And I did keep moving forward. Like, I didn't feel any impression to leave the church, even though this was awful. I continued to go out with the missionaries where I was as a, as a young dad with kids, still helping out these young missionaries that I love so much. 2019, I was the elders quorum president of my ward in North Ogden, where, I, where the same place where I'm still at right now. And the short version of it, I had a friend challenge me. Why do you think Joseph Smith was a polygamist? And I thought it was a done deal. When I searched what the church teaches, now patterns are sticking out. 90% or more of all of the sources used to claim that Joseph Smith was a polygamist are from 30 years or more after his assassination. And they come almost exclusively from the polygamists who took over the church after Joseph Smith's assassination. And then when I read for myself the teachings of Joseph Smith, strict monogamy in all forms, strict public condemnation of polygamy in all forms, using his political office to prosecute those practicing polygamy, using his religious office to excommunicate and publish the names of any using polygamy. I came to a conclusion, and the Spirit says, write down your reasoning. I wrote down a document. When I finished that, the Spirit says, kneel down and pray. I knelt down, and I prayed about this, and there ain't no fluff to this prayer. Like, I spent two days writing a document because the Spirit told me to. And I kneel down, and I say, Heavenly Father, I've paid the price to put this information in my head. I've come to three conclusions. I don't believe Joseph Smith ever taught polygamy. I don't believe Joseph Smith ever practiced polygamy. And I believe Doctrine and Covenants, Section 132, is fraudulently attributed to Joseph Smith. Have I discovered the truth? I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
And when I finished that prayer, like it was 12.04 a.m. on on Sunday, January 12th. My wife was asleep on the bed back behind me. I was there at my desk with just one dimly lit desk lamp. I finished that prayer and I'm still knelt down by the chair. And I felt a change in my body. This was the first time, first and only time that this specifically has happened to me. I felt an expanse of my body. It felt like it started at my arms and then it went over my, my entire body. And I'm thinking, what is going on? I knew that something was physically different. I'm not seeing angels in the room or anything like that, but I realized something's different. And I did not want to offend whatever this experience was. And it's, I talk into a microphone already. I'd been doing a political podcast. I'm good with words. I know how to describe stuff. Now I'm at a loss. And at about two minutes into this, where I didn't dare get up from my knees or do anything that might offend whatever this experience is, I'm trying to think, how would I describe what's going on right now? It felt like an intensity of peace. It felt like contradiction couldn't exist in my mind, even though nothing was happening yet. And then at about two minutes in, I started to think about what I had been reading regarding Joseph Smith's uh, teachings on marriage and monogamy. And it flooded into my mind quickly and gently. And here's how specific it felt. It felt like it was above my eyeball and below my eyebrow where the information would flow in. And the things that I'd been studying, it, it now makes me think about when Jesus taught, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father shall send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance. That information that I had learned because the Spirit told me to was now being brought to my mind and put in order and locked into place to where it was, oh, wow, the level of clarity. And this would go on for minutes in a row where the information I would think about would flood into my mind and the Spirit would lock it into place. I started to think about a different subject, the suspicious coming forth of section 132, which claims to be Joseph Smith's revelation on polygamy. That information flowed into my mind, replaced the other stuff, and it would be available for me to contemplate in as much depth as I wanted for as long as I wanted for just minutes in a row. This process went on for more than an hour. It's past 1 a.m. in the morning, and I realize, holy cow, and I ask a quick prayer in my heart, Heavenly Father, I, I, I knew the implications to where, regarding this, if Joseph Smith wasn't a polygamist, that means those who took over the church, they're serious implications about their honesty. Heavenly Father, am I supposed to testify this to my elders quorum because I was going to be in front of them in a few hours? And the Spirit says to me quickly and gently, yes. All right. The Spirit brings to my mind an image that I could see in this part of the peripheral of my mind. I saw myself um, dressed up in my three-piece suit at church, and I saw how much I valued being perceived as a leader in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I knew I was being shown that because, Jacob, that could permanently go away. Are you okay with that? I knew that's what I was being asked. And I only thought about a moment. I realized, I'm okay with that. The next day, I testified to my elders' quorum. And that's a longer story in and of itself. I know how to run a good elders' I'm sure that didn't go well. (laughs) Okay. So I love these men. Like, I do. So it's probably about 40-plus men inside of the room, six former bishops, um, the high councilman's inside of there, a couple of others. There's a couple of lifelong employees of the church educational system and probably about a dozen or so young bucks that are my age or a little bit younger. I teach them about keeping a journal of impressions, hearing the voice of the Lord. And then I ask in the last 15 minutes, why do you think Joseph Smith was a polygamist? I had a friend who challenged me on this and I took them through the uncomfortable standard history according to the church. Then I shared about what I had learned and I shared about praying and I shared about the answer. 
And I stood and I testified with, with as much, I stood with as much gentleness and openness as I could. But I, I told them, I testify in the name of Jesus Christ that Joseph Smith never taught polygamy. And I testify in the name of Jesus Christ that Joseph Smith never practiced polygamy. And I testify in the name of Jesus Christ that Doctrine and Covenants section 132 is fraudulently attributed to Joseph Smith. And <laughs> I let it sit in the room for about 10 seconds as people are like grabbing their faces. The high councilman has his head buried in his hands and he's never spoken to me again since then. Oh boy. And I say, I am open to the possibility that I'm in error. I would welcome correction from any of you fine brethren. I've already sent an email to our stake presidency so they can interview me and determine whether I'm worthy to continue as your elders quorum president. Brother Silverio, will you give us our closing prayer? Oh, <laughs> boy. Uh... Here, let me put the landing gear down because this is going to be enough. Um, I felt jubilant. I, I knew that my heavenly father had asked me to do that and I did it. I did it fearlessly, and I felt like I kept the right spirit with me as I did it. My wife was like, "What do you do?" The whole, yeah, oh yeah, the sure. whole, <laughs> the whole rest of the day, I'm jubilant. Like I, I could, I could feel happiness in my heart that I wanted to jump. The next morning, my alarm clock goes off on my phone, and I pop up no snooze button, which was not my habit, and I say, "Good morning, Heavenly Father," because it feels like He's standing there, and the Spirit says, "Kneel down," and I kneel down. And the spirit says, give thanks for this. And I give thanks. And a vibration starts in my heart and it goes out my whole body. And it's like I can feel it out my arm hairs and my fingertips and my toenails and everything. And it says, give thanks. Now give thanks. Now give thanks. And zero things are originating from my own mind. The spirit's telling me like one right after the other what to give thanks for. And then it transitions. And the spirit says, now ask for this. Now ask for this. And I'm being told my sins one after the other and how to plead forgiveness for them. And it is it is now so permeated. And then the Spirit says, end in the name of Jesus Christ. And I do, and I stand up. And, I, and, and it's hard for me to share this without just being overloaded with emotion. I, I felt my whole love for God. I'd loved God since I was a little boy. I felt that love get replaced by his love for me. It permeated everything. I felt such an intensity and such a power of love that the only thing that I wanted was it for was for it to reflect back to my maker. And then and it stayed with me for four days in a row, guiding all my actions. I didn't know what a baptism of fire experience was because I'd never had one like that. I had had other times where I where I felt being forgiven of my sins and I felt cleansed and I and I felt ready to keep moving forward. This was a whole different ballgame, and I've never been the same since then. Um, I'm not so arrogant as to say, bam, everything regarding being born again, I've achieved that because I don't feel like it's anything I've achieved. I feel like it is a it is a pure, powerful, godly gift that I was allowed to have a, a piece of. I recognize a small piece of what it's like when heaven touches you here on earth, and and I long for my heavenly home as a result of experiencing that. So as for uh, the principles of the church, um, other than the polygamy, I know where you stand on that for sure. Um, but, and, and it's very similar to the RLDS, like the Re Reformed Church. They also definitely believe that that's not something that Joseph Smith practiced. So, I mean, it's not completely out there for people that don't know the Mormon Church. There's reorganized church and, and they don't believe in, in polygamy either. Um, many attribute that to Emma, 
we'll never a hundred percent know, but she did on her deathbed die saying that, that he was not a polygamist. Um, and she never wavered. Uh, I always just call her a ride or die gal. I'll, I'll edit that for you. <laughs> you know, the word, um, the, but ride or die B, you know, cause like, I mean, that's a girl that really loves her dude. If not, like yeah. if, if it wasn't the truth, like whatever, she was still down. And I think Emma was that way in general. I think, I think she really did love Joseph and, and there was a lot going on there, you know, but even that was with her son, she could have been more transparent. I mean, it was just her son. So I, I don't know. I, let, let me mention this. Yeah. I, I think of the way that Brigham Young wanted to characterize Emma and Joseph. He would repeatedly over and over again talk about how Joseph says she was the wickedest woman ever and that uh, and she just wouldn't repent. It becomes pretty obvious that if Brigham Young's characterization of Emma is accurate, she sounds like somebody who would have quite an incentive to uh, throw Joseph under the bus uh, posthumously when he's not there to cause any issue if she were to do that. So, of course, right. I and I don't at that point he's gone. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, what's the point? But like at that, at that level, like with, for you, like you gave up, like you said, a lot to leave the church in a different way than I did. I left the church. I mean, let's face it. There's only three ways. I never heard of your way. Mostly I thought there was two ways. I thought you left the church and became like Christian somehow, some kind of something, or you completely give away everything and you don't want to believe in God at all because you feel duped, right? Like a lot of people go to that level in atheism. And that's why I do this channel because I would watch people fall away, fall away, not fall away into a better situation. It was like a, a weird, worse situation or Gnosticism or whatever, but it just, it, it was never great. And I definitely wanted to get that out there, but I'd never heard of something like what, what you were doing. It's and happening. so- it's happening a lot. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say this. I, I was totally willing to be the Lord's lone soldier because when I was um, an active traveling musician, that was easy to do. I, I felt a connection with the heavens to the point to where I keep copy of the Book of Mormon in my backpack and I would meet people at the bus station or other places. And I, and I felt like my Heavenly Father knows my whereabouts and he can keep me active in his work. When I testified of that, I thought, man, I'm just going to be the Lord's lone soldier. Nobody else. I ended up publishing my experiences and find out that other people had similar experiences. Mine is probably the most dramatic that I've, as far as like a, a public testifying sort of thing. But the Lord's been waking people up for years within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the reoccurring theme is the warning in the Book of Mormon that secret combinations will be among you striving to take power. You are commanded to wake up to your awful situation. That's happening among, if you're meeting Latter-day Saints who are all about following the Savior, rest assured the Lord's waking them up regarding the secret combinations that have taken over the corporate structure of the church. So um, for you, for what you're doing for you and your purposes, do you still believe in like the word of wisdom or um, like that, you know, all of the things that people think of when they hear Mormon, we know not polygamy. That's the first thing they think of, right? <laughs> the second thing, they don't drink coffee. Like, <laughs> It, I mean, it, I would say that my focus has become very, very um specific and structured. I'm going to share my screen if I can. Sure. Here we go. Let's go to present. Share screen. Oh, let's click this button. Boom. Did it? 
Is it going? Oh, 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 oh. you're going to you're going to be able to show it in a little bit. Okay. But in other words, here's this is a, a reoccurring thing inside of the I don't inside know if of it's the. Gonna, let's see, I'm going to push share screen, but then it will have me share screen. Let's see. Oh, do you see the screen that I'm seeking to share at the bottom? I don't. I don't. Oh. That's why I'm like, let me no. minimize and see. Ah, here we go. There it is. So right now, Third Nephi chapter 11, this is one of the most common chapters that Latter-day Saint missionaries share with people as they're teaching them. Jesus Christ teaches his doctrine of, it, and this is the doctrine of Christ. Some people call us the doctrine of Christ group, and all they're saying, there's no official organization. I'm not a leader of anything. What I do recognize is Jesus says, faith, repentance, water baptism, baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and then endure to the end. Um as he nails that clearly as can be in third Nephi chapter 11, he talks about how jealously he guards this doctrine. Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, this faith, repentance, water, baptism, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, endure to the end. This is my doctrine. And I bear record of it from the father that whoso will believeth in me and in the father also unto him will the father bear record of me and he will visit him with fire and with the Holy Ghost. That's an ordinance that takes place. That's the born-again experience, the fire and the Holy Ghost. That's how we become born again. And thus will the Father bear record of me, and the Holy Ghost will bear record of the Father unto him, of the Father and me, for the Father and I and the Holy Ghost are one. And again, I say unto you, you must repent. Okay, he hits on it, and I'm just going to move forward a little bit. But mm -hmm. Jesus says, this is my doctrine. Whoso buildeth upon this builds on my rock, and whoso shall declare more or less than this. Think about whether it's a whether it's saying the word of wisdom is a requirement for salvation, or these things that we do in the temple are a requirement for salvation, or these performances or the, those performances. Whoso shall declare more or less than this and establish it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil and is not built upon my rock, built upon a sandy foundation, and the gates of hell are open to receive them. So, like, I find that to be a mandate to anybody who pretends to believe the Book of Mormon. If they're adding to or taking away from the doctrine that Jesus Christ just laid out there, they are idolaters, and they are required to repent. Otherwise, holy horse honky, I feel like saying bad words, holy <laughs> crap, absolute bovine excrement that they believe the words of Jesus Christ. And here's why I'm so passionate about this. I love people so much. And you've had a similar desire to where when people give up on faith in everything, when people give up on that, it's sad to see. And there's probably hundreds of thousands, if not in the millions of young people who are now adults, who at one point were feeling the spirit testifying of certain truths. But when the corporate church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints tries to attach this other bullcrap and saying, that's just as true as this other stuff. It causes people to have not only faith crisis, but to give up on God altogether. And Absolutely. The people trying to mix that bovine excrement with the doctrine of Christ, I want to punch them in their freaking face for their betrayal of Jesus Christ in his gospel. So when, um, and I, I say this with all niceness, like I'm not trying to, uh, you know, you know I what? know that you yes. debate. I know you debate. And I appreciate that you love a debate, but also I like to be respectful of everybody on my channel. And I like to, even if I completely no, disagree with them, you don't have to be nice. I don't to like, like to. Yeah. 
You and well, I, you and I like each other enough that we're allowed we to vehemently. We do. So in Ecclesiastes, there's multiple verses that talk about that dreams can be deceiving. Yes. Okay. So Ecclesiastes 34, seven or Ecclesiastes five, seven, either one. Um, and these That's talk what... about, yes, these talk about, uh, whether or not you can trust your dreams, you know, <laughs> we've got to, uh, remember that. And for me, this is really important because when I left the, the church, I found more myself studying the Bible and it, and it brought forth many things for me that were, uh, confusing. So 34, seven is one. And it says for dreams have deceived many and they have failed that put their trust in them. So like to be careful, right? We have to, we have to be careful and not only for your dream or I'm not just discounting. This oh, is more about Joseph. I didn't know you had a, uh, 34, seven. Let's see. I don't think there's a, and so Ecclesiastes. or did I write it? down wrong oh. like I, I i totally agree with maybe that. it's three four through seven um that, but it's that we can go to this there. other one Another uh ecclesiastes five seven oh, we five, can just go to that one i yeah. i totally believe in that principle that you're sharing absolutely and not about your dream because i didn't know about your dream um yeah. actually I, I was talking about Joseph, for, you know, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a dream. It was like visions that I was having specifically. I, I completely believe that, um, that, that visions and revelations can and do come from dark sources, probably yes. more commonly than they come from divine sources. And so what, what would be my method for checking such things? I would, um, some of the things that I've come to understand regarding Satan and his minions who are quite active in a literal sense, trying to mirror the structure of heaven here on earth where they still claim power over this lost and fallen world. They, I do recognize a certain amount of puffing people up with pride. Wow, you're so great. And they generally lead to a perversion of the gospel whereby somebody themselves, you can become an ascended master. That's what you're meant to do. And there's, there's a lot of the power is in you. And where the pride is, in other words, the humility is no longer there the same way that Jesus perfectly showed. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. Jesus, right. his will to the will of the Father in all things. If there's revelation we are receiving that doesn't have that same accompanying spirit of full submission to God, I, be, I highly suspect that it is a deceiving spirit. So, you know, when we spoke last, I kind of, and I didn't know about your dream. I just knew about Joseph and um, the channeling that occurred with the Book of Mormon. And it was very similar to that of John D. And, and it's very occult in nature. And then you add in the treasure bag and the sigils and all the things that we kind of spoke about last time. And it's hard. It, it's actually impossible, not hard for me, impossible for me to believe Pick that it's another addition to the Bible, right? Because it says we shouldn't. That first part regarding channeling, what, what is it? Um, What is it that you view as channeling as having produced the Book of Mormon? Um. Well, he puts his head in the hat. And they use a seer stone, very similar to uh, John D. He used obsidian instead, but also the the little letters that they used and that they submitted to have um, be verified. Yeah. 
that the guy kept, they were actually very similar to the Enochian alphabet. And, you know, the channeling that went on there, he would call out these symbols almost identical as Edward Kelly and John D. And so, and they're not the only ones, but it makes you wonder where, you know, Joseph said he not only saw, you know, Moroni, but his dead brother and like up to 24 different apparitions and or dead people. And then you start to wonder, is this a diviner? Is this a truth? Is this, you know, is this, I believe he, he translated a book. I do believe that he was channeled these words into his mind. I don't know about plates per se, but I do believe he saw something. I'm not like those people that are like, oh, he was high on mushrooms and had a good trip. Have fun. I don't think so. (laughs) The reality is, is that the volume, which, which purports to be translated from golden plates, it exists and it's a, it's been given to the worst enemies of Joseph Smith from the get-go and, and it's produced now um, for me, I've read the book of Mormon dozens of times and I read from it rather regularly. Um, The things that have, and I'm not trying to make this, let me argue with an anecdote. I'm just, but, uh, but I think it is, it is distinct that, well, why does somebody like myself or others who are having waking up type experiences, why does this connect with them so much? Um, Right. I recognize instead of just believing maybe this is God intervening for you, but like the Bible says, we shouldn't have another book, even if an angel comes down and hands it to you. Because some of the things that I've learned from, from you as well as others who are, who are quite um, different evangelicals and Christians who are quite critical of the church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. There's plenty to be critical of myself as well. I'm, I'm quite critical. I do not hear um, opposition to the teachings of the Book of Mormon. And I would think that if the Book of Mormon came from a deceptive source, perhaps a similar source as John D., and I appreciate you giving me a a good uh, foundational understanding of his history, then I would expect there to be some of this, some of this uh, ascended master, become your own God sort of thing mixed inside of there. Well, there was for a while with the teachings with Kolob. We were all going (laughs) to get our own planet. Well, well, I would say this. I would say that is something quite distinct and separate from the teachings of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon has 500 plus pages to be examined and criticized and and evaluated. And when there are criticisms of the teachings of Joseph Smith, I just don't find from Joseph Smith's greatest critics prominent today teachings of the Book of Mormon being criticized. I did, I never had a problem, honestly, with the polygamy part. I know that sounds horrible. I have a problem with um, children being married off. I have a problem with people being married off against their will. I have a problem with a lot of things that have to do with that. That's more fundamentalist, as you well know. Um, but as far as the polygamy part, everybody always hangs their big hat on it. And I always feel like that's not even the worst of our problems here. We've got this other stuff. Let me just point to Joseph Smith. He's the one who produced this volume here and it nails it big time to where um, Jacob of the book of Mormon. Again, this purports to be centuries before the coming of Christ. This is a parallel to the time of Jeremiah in the old Testament to where the people are starting to grow and Jacob hammers them. Um, on the subject of polygamy. So here's the teachings of the Book of Mormon on on polygamy. um, But the word of God burdens me because of your grosser crimes. For behold, thus saith the Lord, this people 
begin to wax in iniquity. They understand not the scriptures. They seek to excuse themselves in committing whoredoms because of the things which were written concerning David and Solomon. Solomon and David had many wives. It was abominable. I'm going to just paraphrase. He absolutely clobbers the uh, having more than one wife in any form and even specifies you will not do like the people started to do again in Jerusalem. They got destroyed because of embracing polygamy again. And oh, the- absolutely. I feel like they were they were tortured. I mean, King David said it was a terrible idea. Yeah, I it- think the people that choose to do that get their own punishment here on earth having that many wives you must be crazy like the book, the book, <laughs> their women are hard admit it jacob <laughs> I, I, yeah I, i've been married twice not at the same time though. um uh, but but in other words the book of mormon stays true to this in other words this is it, i find yes. the book of mormon to be strictly in harmony with the teachings of jesus christ and his prophets from the old testament from the new testament i that's one of the reasons that i consider the book of mormon to be scripture in the quite literal sense to where these were prophets of god similar to what we find in the old testament sharing the word of the lord as they obtained it through the same manner because they practiced the same religion and it was on this continent anciently so on the part in Galatians 1, 8, where it says, yeah, but even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Amen. So, you I mean, so support for me. or in addition, there's another one that I can find that says, if anything brings it in addition to the Bible. And yes. the thing that I have a hard time with, because I see a good spirit in you, Jacob, like I, I know you're a man that goes for God. Like, I don't doubt that just because you believe in the Book of Mormon, but it makes me almost sad because that could all be used for the glory of God in the Bible. Like you have something that you, you, I mean, you do, you like, I don't know if you watch yourself, you're very charismatic and you, you know, all of that. I know you're trying to go for God. Like I get what you're doing and I don't doubt that at all. I I don't. Uh, I I think are there um, you, you are, that. Yeah. are you open to the idea that there are branches of the house of Israel who have records outside of the canon of the Bible? Um, I believe in many extra canonical books like Jasher and Enoch and yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. In other words, if the Book of Mormon is what it purports to be, then it is the records of a branch of the house of Israel and the same way that the Lord's covenant people will be restored to the lands of their inheritance in what's considered the old world. The branch of the house of Israel has covenants regarding this continent that right now, the Gentiles who have been blessed above all other nations, the book of Mormon specifies they are ripening in iniquity and will be swept off. And that branch of the house of Israel that once inhabited this land will be restored. I find those covenants to be true and faithful and given from given from the same God of the Old Testament and the New Testament contained accurately in the Book of Mormon. But the old books like Jasher and that were in the codex, right? Like and they they were taken out. Like they were interrupted. They weren't like added later. You know what I'm saying? They were part of yeah. of the actual full books and and people decided, "Hey, we should take this out because we don't want to explain Genesis 6. <laughs> I think that's what happened. No, um, but really, like, I think that they just wanted us not to have a full history, whereas this is a completely new book. You know, this is like not part of the codex. If, if it was produced by mm-hmm. Joseph, if it is a record that was invented in the 1830s, I am in complete agreement with you. 
and, and I, I feel comfortable just referring to what the Book of Mormon reports to me because it's not my it's not my job in this conversation to say you need to believe the way that I do. But I right. do feel a need to clarify what it purports to be so people can add that into the equation. It claims to be at the time of Jeremiah in the Old Testament when Jeremiah exercised faith like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who were promised a land and posterity. Lehi was promised that and it happened here. And God continued to give promises which were recorded in the scriptures anciently, and they are once again crying from the dust. So in other words, if this was a new thing invented 1830 um, AD, you and I are agreement that it shouldn't be taken seriously or even paid attention to. But if this is the ancient voices from the dust that God is keeping his covenants in getting people to wake up to his covenants pertaining to this land, it is completely pertinent. Um, I recognize I, I hopefully give off a, a loving spirit uh, of you someone do. who loves God because I do. And I have since I have since I was a teenager and I had that initial come to Jesus moment. I still find myself willing to have my world turned upside down if that's what it takes for me to follow God. In other words, I do pray regularly to have false traditions abused. I find the Book of Mormon to be true and faithful. And since that baptism of fire experience that I shared about, I never had a love or even a whole lot of understanding of the Old Testament other than like knowing the stories. Right, right, of course. The Old Testament has exploded. Like my enthusiasm and my excitement for the covenants that are contained in the Old Testament have have just uh, grown exponentially because of what I've been through. And it helps me connect the Book of Mormon to those same covenants. I find the same God of uh, promising his people throughout the Old and New Testament to be the same God speaking throughout the Book of Mormon. And I think that your testimony is unshakable, and that's why I bring these things up. Like, we're we're friends, like you said. Past this, we're going to talk again. We already know. Um, but, but, yeah, and then I worry, like, because we have all these things that don't compile together well. Like, Joseph Smith was the one that started all of the temple rituals six weeks after he became a Mason. And he's the one where that sits with, you know, and he's the one that you know, Willard Chase's account and his affidavit in court and then the treasure digging and the folk magic and the house of a brack, it gets heavy. Like yeah. these are more my problems than the polygamy. Like I get that it's important as well. And then if, if we, you know, think of one more thing, Muhammad saw an angel and you know, that became a religion too. Oh yeah. And, one. Yeah. Crowley saw an alien not an angel and that became a religion too so we have to remember that these things can and are used regularly by deception whether or not in this case we have no idea yet but i'm talking about like in those other cases yeah. we absolutely know that thelema is not from god like we know that <laughs> we are certain of that um and there's no doubt in our minds but that's why i bring up these things because if you if you have a true and honest testimony and and you don't believe in the temple rights, he's the one that initiated them. Well, it, it, like I find so, it, this, here's what has happened to me. In, in understanding that Joseph Smith was not the source of Latter-day Saint polygamy, it has caused me to really question, well, is what is he the source of? 
especially the Masonic aspects of this. The the endowment that was introduced by Brigham Young, it included the oath of vengeance to where avenge the blood of Joseph Smith. How could Joseph Smith have introduced such a thing? Brigham Young doesn't claim that God gave him the temple ordinance. He says, Joseph Smith came to me in vision and gave me these things that were introduced, the slitting of the throat and all the other things. I find about as much um, historical integrity in the claims of Joseph Smith being a Mason at all, as the historical record shows that he was also a polygamist. I'm suspicious of it. You won't find anything from Joseph Smith himself. There's going to be people after his death. Now, and that's part of the reason to why I don't consider myself an advocate for Joseph Smith. I am an advocate for the Book of Mormon. If let's say that um, it were shown to me and I'm forced to like reevaluate things, Joseph Smith and polygamy. Well, I think the scriptures are quite clear that polygamy is to be condemned, especially when people are using David and Solomon as their justification. But um, but uh, there's nothing there's nothing from Joseph Smith that has anything but condemnation for polygamy. There's nothing from Joseph Smith that has any approval of Masonic elements. There are those who took over the church who says, oh. I think they recognized they lacked credibility in the eyes of those that they wanted to lead. So let's borrow upon the good credit in the name of Joseph Smith as he introduced this. So, yes, if Joseph Smith was the one who introduced um, blood atonement type doctrines, um, I'm not going to say that I understand it better than him. But I'm saying the way that I understand it right now, I have no problem condemning. I don't believe it. Because I I know he... um was the one that on May 3rd, 1842, Joseph Smith prepared the second floor of his red brick store in Nauvoo to represent the interior temple as circumstances would permit to give people their endowments. So um, let me give a recommendation for people following that claim specifically. Michelle Brady Stone, I consider her a friend and a sister. She's got the podcast called 132 Problems on YouTube. She has multiple different parts on the temple. I think it is part number two on the temple. The claims of the Utah LDS endowment coming from Joseph Smith to say that the claims are weak is the understatement of the year. Um, In other words, and she dived into in the episode that I'm thinking of 132 problems, YouTube, Michelle Brady stone temple part two, the claims of the endowment being presented in the red brick storehouse are highly suspect. In fact, it's overwhelmingly pointed to those claims being dubious. Now, Because the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they're considered authoritative on this history because, well, we were founded by Joseph Smith. I understand why it's treated as authoritative because I treated it as authoritative my whole life. As soon as I get into the process of where's the original source, these people are absolutely full of horse stuff. Okay, so if I remember correctly, wasn't it his journal that they got this from? If I re- now that's off cuff, I don't believe the red brick storehouse comes from his journal. Um, I'll say this. Um, my friend Dustin Grady gave a really good presentation available on YouTube. If you were to type in um, Dustin Grady endowment, he gives a great breakdown of what we know regarding the endowment while Joseph Smith was alive from the teachings of Joseph Smith. The short version of of that presentation is Joseph Smith was preparing the Latter-day Saints to receive an endowment of power similar to the one manifest in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. That's the endowment of power to where God says, here's power from heaven. And it came in cloven tongues of fire and, and fell upon those worthy and ready to receive such a thing. There was recorded an amazing 
outpouring of the Spirit at the dedication of the Kirtland Temple among many of the Latter-day Saints. But they did not receive that full endowment of power the way that it's described in Acts chapter 2. That's the endowment that was taught by Joseph Smith, not Masonic slitting of your throats and keep a secret unto death. And so even though um, it's noted that, and and it has the dates that he was indeed a Freemason. Do do me a favor, click the button so it's no longer sharing my screen. Oh, yes. (laughs) That's okay. People like to see. I thought we were still on it. I thought we were still maybe going to. I didn't know. We can click the button and go back again. Yes. Whenever you need it, we can do that. And um, I, don't want it, I don't want it to sound like an excuse to where you can't trust no, the sources uh, because there, I have learned <laughs> the hard way. Well, we can't trust a lot and, of things. And, and that is disheartening. Like, but mm-hmm. that part of why, like when I get prayerful about it, I don't get the spirit telling me at all. I need to be an advocate for Joseph Smith. The closest that I get to it is like, Hey, I got guided to examine the historical record, and I at least learned for myself that Joseph Smith is not the author of uh, LDS polygamy, of uh, Utah Mormon polygamy. And um, right. I, I feel solid about that. But even then, there are certain things about Joseph Smith that I don't feel any desire or even um, duty to stand up for. The Kirtland Safety Society, that failed bank, there's no evidence that I can point to that God was directing him to do that, and it failed in such spectacular fashion. I don't believe that he himself was trying to get rich from it because he suffered greater financial loss than than he than he could have if he were trying to take advantage of others. But again, right. Joseph Smith doesn't save you or me, neither do uh, any of the apostles of the scriptures. It's only in as much as they point the true and accurate way to enter into covenant with God directly, then they should be taken seriously. I believe Joseph Smith is one of those who pointed to the doctrine of Christ by which we can be individually become the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, and he presents us to the Father. And the only reason why I bring it up is because if indeed, like the Bible says, um, that if a prophet is wrong, actually, he should be put oh. to death, right? Oh, well, no. so, so if he was wrong, like about the money or about the temple thing or about whatever it is, then it makes me go back to question. And that's why I have you on to pick your brain because I'm less... Uh, I don't care about being right. I just want to know things, right? Like I just want to have discussions so that we can figure this out because even if we never do, like it's still great to try, you know, like, I mean, that's all we can do. There's a lot of benefit, a lot of benefit. Yeah. And so I I always try to be so respectful and especially because I do like you and consider you a friend. Like I don't come at you like this to be like snarky or I've listened to your, uh, the reason why I, I say this because I watch some of the other stuff and they just pull you apart kind of, and I don't like it. I I'm not a fan. Um, it's okay if you guys like it, but I've got, for me, I've got for a personality that can handle it. In other words, I recognize that you're yeah. empathic, that you, that you, you don't want to tear me down, but I am, I am somebody to where the model, I don't have any tattoos, but if I were to get one, it might very well say, say the truth, no matter what. Cause I, if we view Jesus Christ as the truth, then it is the truth no matter what. So I I highly value the sincere tearing down of whatever false traditions. People can do it in a way to where it actually destroys people's foundation in a way that it never gets built up again. I am um, right. I view myself quite regularly tearing down false traditions of others, but my heavenly father has guided me so I'm no longer allowed to use the sledgehammer when tearing down false traditions. Right. I get guided spiritually on how to use the framing hammer. 
instead of the sledgehammer. And so I, I do it's, try to- It leaves less pieces. <laughs> it leaves less splinters. Less pieces, because there's, there's ways of destroying falsehoods to where people are left with nothing to build with. Right. And, and no matter what, I can see that you really do dedicate your life. You're really trying to, to go somewhere with God and I can see and feel that from you. So I don't, I don't have any thoughts to want to splinter you, right? Like that's horrible. Let me say, here's what I recognize is happening. And this is part of why I don't get worried about people believing all the things that I believe right now, because because of my personal recognition that the Book of Mormon is prophets of God having received and recorded covenants anciently that are playing out today, that great feeling of freedom is inspiring men and women to wake up to dedicate themselves to God, and they did not participate in the mass mandates, the the all the uh, jibby jabby sort of crap. When President yeah. Nelson, the head of the of the Church Corporation. He might as well be Klaus Schwab or Bill Gates. His policies are yeah. their policies because President Nelson, the skull of bones alumni, President Nelson worships the and same. And Alan Key. And yeah. Alan Key. Oh, two Alan secret Key. societies. In, in other words, yes. say this openly. Now, Cardin Ellis of Ward Radio used to be Midnight Mormons, um, as well as Jacob Hansen, uh, Brad Whitbeck. These millennial um, Latter-day Saints, the corporate apologists, they will simultaneously be so enthusiastic. President Nelson is a prophet of God, and they fold like cheap laundry the moment <laughs> you ask, why are President Nelson's policies identical to Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, and every other satanic globalist that we know of in the world? It's because President Nelson worships the same God as Klaus Schwab. He shows you that in his policy. This is this is uh, repeated in the Book of Mormon, the words of Isaiah 29, to where the Lord's people, they, they draw unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So there's no excuse for those Mormon millennials. That's why I'm really looking forward to wrestling Jacob Hansen. Just what, <laughs> I'm going to be there. Everybody, if I'm going to be there. Me and my husband are coming. Can we I say are, we are can booked. I say that word? I feel like it. Because I feel like it. Yes. Can I, I, I feel like it yes. is such utter horse shit for Jacob Hansen to, to claim that President Nelson is a prophet of God while he becomes so, in, like, I'm going to just put together a compilation clip and clip this by itself as he becomes so scared oh, and so okay. timid to talk about what comes from Jesus Christ. It, I, I, I want to say this as repeatedly as possible. Because for one thing, I care about Cardinalis and Brad Whitbeck. Uh, Jacob Hansen, he's more annoying. But um, because I care about them. It's because he's another Jacob. They need, <laughs> they need to continue to be absolutely ashamed of their cowardice in talking about whether President Nelson's policies come from Jesus Christ or not. They need to stop pretending that they belong to Jesus Christ Church if they cannot answer whether President Nelson follows Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. If they can't stand for that, I mean, it makes it hard to really honestly trust them. I know that sounds kind of cruel in a way, but like when I speak to you, I don't think you're trying to mislead me or you're telling me how you feel about something that is affecting you your way. And I can respect that. Yeah. If they could do the same, then they should be able to ra raise their hand to the square, Jacob, to yeah. say that he is the one. If I, they are doing that, then and, that is... And see, um, I, would, I would totally totally support you if you were to say jacob how in other words when you're bringing up different scriptures i recognize you're giving a form of saying 
Um, how is this in harmony with the word of God? Like if you, you can and should hold me accountable if I'm teaching things that are clearly out of harmony with what Jesus Christ teaches. I not only respect that, I applaud it, and I wish more people would do it. La corporate Latter-day Saints like Jacob Hansen and Cardin Ellis, they do not want to talk about what Jesus Christ They're a, When I've watched them with you on a few things, um, it's more about like being right. I don't really care if I never am right or you're never right. We're just talking about this because we've both been deceived regardless, right? At the end of the day, we both feel the same way about the mainstream church. And that is, hello, and that is very important, right? Like, I, I mean, at the end of the day, like, we have to say, okay, this is, you You stood up and, and left a life that, you know, you didn't have to do that. I actually didn't leave. Yeah. They excommunicated me, and I'm still. Right, I'm but still you knew, right? <laughs> I mean, you dang, you knew. I'm still waiting to be excommunicated. I want to be excommunicated because. Do you, do you want to come to church stupid. with me? Yeah, let's do it because you're, you're coming hang out with me. Right. I need to have that happen because then I won't be married for time and all eternity to the guy that left me in the dust for his girlfriend. So that would be lovely. Yeah. But that's no reason to do with why I'm not a Mormon. Like people are fallible. Let's be honest. If you ever leave any kind of church because of a person, that's on you. Like that's that's not that's silly, you know. We, I don't knock down my green screen because then you'll see all my food storage. <laughs> I just see the kiddos; they're cute. I, I have so many kids that it's always funny to me. So I'm like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Usually, when people have kids and I'm on, they'll they'll end up in and waving or something because I think they know I'm a mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're like, this lady seems like she knows where food is. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like. <laughs> You and I are probably in far more agreement um, re regarding things that should be condemned in the corporate church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the reason I call it a corporation is because it is. That is how it is legally it is. It identified. Is. And, and the doctor, yes. let me share one from the Doctrine and Covenants. If you could share my screen. Absolutely. One, one more you time. Got it. No, you're fine. Because it's quite clear there like what, what the gospel, uh, what the church of Jesus Christ actually is, I think. Pretty sure it's six take a moment to do this. Maybe it's 10 6. Uh, what it <laughs> oh I'm getting the, I'm getting my sections wrong. I'm pretty sure it, it, it's section 10 where it says what my church is. I see this is why I need my hey you're better than me. I always know what they say, I, but not where they are. I'm like, oh that one scripture. <laughs> stop sharing my screen so I so I don't make a so I don't make an ass okay. myself. Um in other you're words, it, the doctrine covenants teaches quite clear that. Those who repent and come unto the Lord and are baptized, that's his church. And if anybody teaches more or less than that, they are not of Jesus Christ's church. And so, right. like, so my stake president. <laughs> they're really cute. I'm sorry. Yeah. They are. They're I cute. know we're supposed to be serious, but they're cute. Hello. But, uh, <laughs> but um, see, they, they got a, my wife is six feet tall from Peru. Oh, so wow. It's, yeah. So I got little brown babies. Um, oh, these, these six feet is the wow. That's like, what I was saying. Here's the reason that I got excommunicated. The stake president, Cam Ryan, when, when I when I told him, like, hey, here's what I learned regarding Joseph Smith not being a polygamist. He instantly says, what would President Nelson say if he was here? He didn't care. Like he like the same thing that I shared with, at the beginning. Uh. Here's my background. He points to the po picture of President Nelson on his wall. What would he say? And like, why would I care? What does he have to do with this? Yeah, that's just the guy. And, like, what? and his, his position was 
if you and this is literally i'm paraphrasing his direct words yeah. cam ryan specifically says if you don't believe what's published on the church website you're not following president nelson he zero times talked about jesus christ until he got embarrassed like literally in the um when they held the disciplinary council he spent five freaking minutes talking about exaltation through the brethren and because i don't believe that it's like dude what that's what the problem is that's like what the that's the biggest focus point out of everything that happened like literally my bishop glenn and the stake president cam ryan they don't ever talk to me they i used to be the golden boy of the stake where cam ryan was playing videos of pete georgia assignments look what he's doing in the north ogden 15th ward and it turns into an apostate just because I'm required yeah. to believe in the doctrine of many wives and concubines. Otherwise, President Nelson's going to frown on me in the afterlife. He's it's disappointed like, dude, in you. <laughs> take, you take that bull crap and shove it where the sun don't shine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and not only that, but I've noticed, like, I'm very careful at my work or other places. Like, if somebody finds out I have a podcast they, and they say, oh, I what's your podcast? And I always say, well, hold on. Are you an active LDS member? Because I'm not trying, I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I'm not, I'm not trying to black pill somebody that's not ready. It's not nice, you know, and if they're ready, then they'll find us, right? Like they'll find you, they'll find me, they'll find a way. God will show them the way. But like, so this happened to me at work and I, I simply said to this guy, are you LDS? And he said, well, yeah. And I said, I don't, I don't think out of respect for you. I don't think you would like it, but, yeah. but uh, cause I'm an ex Mormon and you know what he said? Well, I would uh, expect you to have more respect for me. And I said, what? It was such a weird conversation. I was like, what this guy to this day now, every time he sees me, like, it's just weird. like with your church people, he will not make eye contact. Yeah. He walks straight by me. Hey. He's so mean about it. All I did was ask. He doesn't even know what my stuff is about. Cause I didn't tell can, him the name. Can I, can I give you a hand? Can I give you, give you a help? <laughs> Okay. Right. I was shook. Start praying. Start praying specifically. Heavenly Father, do you want me, do you want my outreach to include active Latter-day Saints? And if you recognize the response from God being yes, then start praying, how do I do it? Because like when I had that baptism of fire experience, I'm already enthusiastic to the point of being overbearing and obnoxious. Okay. (laughs) And, and, and there, well, I wouldn't say that. It's pretty fun. In other words, I'm, I'm much better now than I was. So in other words, if your outreach is to be the Latter-day Saints, here's how to get your mandate from the Lord and get instructed by him. I remember about six months after that experience, it's coming up summertime of 2020. And, and I'm forcing conversations every chance that I get. And I would say 19 times out of 20, it's people who never want to talk to me again. If there's social media, they'll block me. If it's in person, they'll avoid ever having contact with me. Oh my I gosh. Would the conversation yeah. at the time. But, but there would be about one time in 20 to where somebody would have a fire light in their own heart. They would call upon God for themselves and they would have experiences and their life would change. Dude, one in 20 is 5%. That's pretty darn yeah. good. And, yeah, and so, that's great. So I'm prayerfully, so I've learned how to like prayerfully present my heart and my mind to my heavenly father for correction. I remember praying specifically, heavenly father, I feel like I'm damaging a whole lot of relationships. If you want me to go about it this way, I'm totally willing to do it because one in 20, that ain't bad. 
Right. It's still it's still saving. And that's the point. Like, I still feel like, I mean, that's why it's so important for me on the occult end of this, like, because we have to go for character, right? Like, I'm I'm like, okay, what about the House of Abrax stuff? What about this magical stuff? What about this? What about that? Because if it plays in or the masonry, if it plays into it, then do we believe the book that was brought forth from this family? Yeah, you know, it, in other words, is the Book of Mormon part of that? I don't find any connection to it other than being able to say, well, this is the history we're attributing to Joseph Smith. Let me, okay. I want to give you stuff so you can start reaching your Latter-day Saints because here's what happened to me. As soon as I prayed, is this how I'm supposed to do it? My heavenly father, I could feel him telling me like, chill out and listen to my voice. The next time that it was a potential conversation that I normally would just force because I wanted to, <laughs> um, Right. Uh, I, I would either recognize from that point forward, I, I describe it as the red light or the green light. I would either recognize my heavenly father giving me the uh, normally saying something to the effect of, don't worry, this one is not your responsibility. And I would leave it alone and, and just talk about mixed martial arts or whatever, whatever was fun to talk about. Yeah. But then there'd be the times where the spirit would say, don't hold back. And I have the green light. And as soon as I paid attention to that, nine times out of 10, it is overwhelmingly positive. And and it causes somebody to reflect. Now, what I point out to the Latter-day Saints every single time, almost almost every single time, I'll ask, hey, when's the last time you've read the book of Jeremiah? And Latter-day Saints do not read the Old Testament. They just (laughs) They definitely do not. Um, Yeah. um, It's been a while. And I'd say, can I give you the brief rundown? Oh, sure, because we're already having fun in the conversation. I've got a little bit of trust established. And I would point out the book of Jeremiah is parallel to 1 Nephi chapter 1. It's quite likely that Jeremiah is the prophet that Lehi heard in 1 Nephi chapter 1. You have millions of the Lord's covenant people. The temple is in the heart of the nation with sacrifices going on day and night. The leaders in charge of the temple and the synagogues are the most powerful and respected people in the entire nation. They have a long history of prophets and of prophesying. They can give reasons for all of their religious observances. And yet, what's God about to do? He's going to have all of them destroyed, scattered, or enslaved if they don't turn their hearts to God. That's chapter one of the Book of Mormon because it represents the status of the Latter-day Saints today. And when I hit them that clearly, and and they realize, like, because I, I very prayerfully asked Heavenly Father, how do I teach it in a way that it's too simple to misunderstand? The covenant people of God in Jeremiah is like, I'm singing in the choir and I'm going to the synagogue. Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah chapter one, which is parallel to book of to first Nephi chapter one, the first chapter of the book of Mormon chapter one, he says, the Lord says, all of my people have gone astray, all of them. And then in chapter two, the Lord says, the people that you call prophets are prophesying by the child sacrificing power of Baal. That's Jeremiah two verse eight. And we're shown that because it represents the Lord's covenant people again today. Outwardly, they will say, God this and God that, Jesus this and Jesus that, while they are participating in the darkest of evil rituals that have been from the get-go. And if we don't wake up to that awful situation, if Latter-day Saints don't wake up to that, it's because they do not believe what is taught in the Book of Mormon. 
So and that's part of why I get so passionate about it is to hold Latter-day Saints accountable for turning their hearts to God rather than this absolute bullcrap fake worship of the brethren. Right. It is very, uh, a very patriarchal uh, situation. I do believe Brigham Young brought that forth because yeah. I do not believe Joseph Smith was like that. I do think he was more of an equalitist. He was, um, you he know, not. Yeah, he was. He brought women into if if okay if I don't know with for you I don't know if you believe this but if he was the one that introduced the Masonic rites okay for the temple endowment he's the first one to give them to women he was equal across the board in my opinion I mean that's just one thing I can say I know you don't I I, I know you I say this. believe that. I am I am not <laughs> informed enough specifically on the Masonic history to have as to have a conclusion regarding just right. I, but he was, if he did that, he was very equal. Yeah. Yes. I mean, women. I, I yeah. strongly suspect that the Masonic elements are attributed to Joseph Smith the same way that the polygamist elements are. All right. Gotcha. And I mean, his wife, he, everybody kind of knew that he was partial to her and um, she did have a say so in things like everybody kind of knew that. Yeah. And so I don't think he was some. Um, crazy patriarchal person like how Brigham Young was. I really don't. If you want to see Latter-day Saints squirm, just tell them, will you read out loud all of Doctrine and Covenants section 130? <laughs> the one and only document in the world <laughs> claims to be Joseph Smith teaching polygamy in verse one. This is the principle and doctrine of many wives and concubines. And, and you start to ask, okay, so do you have a testimony that God authorizes one man to take wives away from one man and give them to another. Do you have a testimony that Jesus Christ is the author of that? And the, and it becomes right. quite obvious. Like even the, even the um the corporate apologists like a like a Brad Whitbeck and Cardin Ellis and and uh, Jacob Hansen, they don't mm -hmm. believe what is taught in the Doctrine and Covenants section one hundred thirty two. And if they do, they keep it a secret, especially from their wives. I mean, see, and that's right. that's been a sad thing to learn regarding men of the church in general. Oh, we know that this is true, but clearly we can't say it out loud. No, if it's from God, you can say it out loud, unless you're given instructions otherwise. But generally, this sort of like secretism regarding doctrines, uh, that's how Satan works. You keep it secret until mm -hmm. you have a nation, then you rule with an iron fist. Right. And I do think that dynamic changed a lot when Brigham took over the church. I mean, you can clearly see it. And and the Reformed Church, the, the RLDS, like the reorganized one, I mean, I don't think it's even close to the same as far as the oppression and how long it took to kind of make things more equal in that church as it did for the mainstream right like yeah. i mean they were able to go forward a lot quicker because they didn't have that weird iron fist business going on like you're mentioning and brigham was the king of that they don't call him bloody brigham for nothing i mean he's a situation you know as i try to put things together i, I recognize the men of god who have legitimate experiences with him they waste and wear out their lives teaching other people how to do the same for themselves yeah well, and here's one little um, nod to your polygamy part for Brigham. He was supposed to go forth and replenish the earth and have all these children with these women, but he failed miserably. Yeah. Less than one kid per wife. Less yeah, than. He's like, I'm, I'm triple, triple the uh, the uh, replenisher yeah. that Brigham was. 
Right. And that's not normal. Like why he's a, a one and done, like, obviously. Even think about yeah. this, the, the whether it's the closeted LDS polygamist of today or whether it's the actual practicing funda, fundamentalist polygamist, um, that method is the animalistic uh, base nature. Throughout the mammal kingdom, it is that small group of alpha males who will be the only ones in charge of reproduction at the expense of any others who aren't as strong. That's the system that Brigham Young was setting up. But the system from the get-go where Adam and Eve are placed in the garden, it was them, twain, cleaving unto one another, having nobody else. It was repeated in Doctrine and Covenants section 42, verse 10, to where cleave unto your wife, singular, and none else. Because, like, as a man, I've known since I was a teenager, and probably even before that, like, how attractive ladies are, and the (laughs) The, the base nature of just there's no way around it. Primal, men, yeah, primally. Yeah. Men are visually stimulated. We're built that way, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. But we have to re- we have to remember, God requires us to be disciplined. We are not part of the animal kingdom. If we are to be sons and daughters of God, we learn how to discipline ourselves and hold it in the right order. Be and be. I, I've had to learn to just be completely forthright with my Maker regarding my natural shortcomings. And I recognize he doesn't condemn me for it. Like he knows the way that I was built. No, quick anecdote. When I was um, the young men's leader um, of the teenagers in Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, years ago, talking to these young teenagers who are, who are in the first few years of hormones exploding and, and spontaneous erections and things like that. I would talk to them quite openly. It's, it's, uh, and, I, and I knew how to put at a level that they would understand that would be appropriate, where I'd say, hey, have you guys ever seen a male dog when he gets a whiff of a female dog who's in heat, who's about to reproduce? It's like, yeah, does he have any control over his brain going wild? They recognize, no, it's like, right. you, you guys are built with similar sort of responses. You're not to be ashamed of that, but are you dogs? And and so right. we understand, and I would, and and I could tell there was so much relief that they don't have to be ashamed how their body naturally functions, but also felt like a sense of confidence and yeah, learning how to discipline, learning how to control it. That's why I, I don't have any sympathy for those who promote Brigham Young's animalistic tendencies. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I, I definitely believe it went off the rails regardless of what happened before that. It went way far off the rails at that point. Um, and then, you know, it just kept going. I mean, of course it did money wise and everything. I mean, a lot of people joke with me when I talk with them about Mormonism and they're like, it's like the mob. And I'm like, you're not wrong. I've got a a couple (laughs) of friends who are contractors. One of them is an older dude. One of them's uh, somewhat younger. Um, and they have, (laughs) The kind of projects that they take on from time to time is $490,000 to put a below ground basketball court in a general authority's home because what else is he going to do? What happens over and over again is in their general authority so-called ministry duties on behalf of the corporation, oh, you know that this temple is going to go in or these projects are going to happen and they build shell companies and give the contracts to themselves or or those who are associated with them so that they become rich and richer and richer through their so-called building up the kingdom of God. In other words, it becomes the backdoor deals by which they enrich themselves. I would, um, if if people can't visit in person, at least go to Google Maps right now, look up the Draper Utah Temple, and just scroll through the streets surrounding that temple, 
it is all luxurious millionaire mansions. And as you go into some of these coves, you see the palatial mansions that surround the temple. Again and again in Utah and in other places, it'll be, we know that this luxurious building, this temple is going to be built. So they buy up all the properties around it and enrich themselves. That's the kingdom that they serve. And it's it ain't going to last much longer. No, I, I definitely think that there's been a, an awakening as far as the mainstream LDS church goes. I do see that. And I I always hope for people to come to God, you know, just read the Bible. Like you said, talk to God, pray, uh, you know, get, get real with it. Like, get on your knees, like, you like, know. I don't know. LDS people in general don't like to talk about the gospel. They just like to repeat certain things. They should ask their bishops, hey, bishop, can I obtain a saving relationship of Jesus, with Jesus Christ outside of the church? And the bishops, if, it, if they realize that they're going to be held accountable for the answer, they will never say yes. In other words, salvation does not exist on a personal level. Um, it, and that was my, um, my stake president. He was with his counselor, Mark Malin, as they were about to call me in for a disciplinary counsel. This is like their pre-interview to see if it was needed. When I just asked, like, can I obtain a saving relationship with Jesus Christ if I don't believe President Nelson is a prophet? Because they kept just pointing to President Nelson. Zero Jesus. No, you cannot. And I turned to his counselor. Is that is that true? And uh, yes, it's true. You cannot. And they they are literally doubled down in testimony representing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints above my stake, saying, I cannot be saved by Jesus Christ unless I have the proper opinion of President Nelson. That is the exclusive reason they called a disciplinary council is because they couldn't get me to, Oh, president Nelson, please save me. Right. And then the fact is, is I, I mean, yes, he may be the president of that church, but that doesn't mean just like the Pope of the other church, just like many other leaders, yeah. le absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And there's never been a time or a place that that doesn't occur. It is just how things are. I mean, I wished it wasn't, you know, yeah. uh, but so far it's a hundred percent. Usually, you know, it's pretty good odds. It will, it will corrupt. I'm and so for, I'm looking for it right now. Let's see <laughs> if I can, but in second Nephi chapter nine, where Jacob, the, uh, the younger brother of Nephi, he's given his talk uh, to the people regarding uh, the kingdom of God. And he points out, Oh, let's see. Do you want me to add it? Yeah. Add it. Okay, I'm finding that. There we go. Specifically. But in other words, this is why I love the teachings of the Book of Mormon. There we go. Verse 41. Oh, then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow, but it lieth in a straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ. And he employeth no servant there. And there is another another way, save it be by the gate, and he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. In other words, there ain't no President Nelson or St. Peter or anybody else that's standing there at the gate. It is exclusively Jesus Christ, and have we learned in this life to hear and follow his voice. President Nelson cannot follow him for me. It has to be me personally. And, and again, like Cam Ryan, like he, he is so – my stake president – I've never met a more insecure man when it comes to discussing the teachings of Jesus Christ because his God is President Nelson. That's the only one that he would point to. He has never once talked to me about Jesus Christ or the teachings of Jesus Christ. Zero times. Same with my Bishop Pete Glenn. 
That's that's unfortunate because that's the whole problem with other, Mormonism in general. And see, and and I'm hoping that people can identify it's because the corporation known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints institutionally rejects the teachings of the Book of Mormon. Latter-day Saints who believe who know what the Book of Mormon teaches and embrace it, they follow Jesus Christ exclusively. They exercise faith that Jesus Christ alone is the only way for salvation. Uh, but instead, yeah, you, uh, you, yeah they, they abandoned that. There's no man. Yeah, there's no man between you and God. There, there should be, and whether you're a woman or not. In other words, I, I feel confident teaching the doctrine of Jesus Christ from the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's there. But I feel like it is the clearest on how to give God our broken heart and contrite spirit and be baptized by fire and by the Holy Ghost. I find those teachings to be the clearest in the Book of Mormon. And I think that as long as people recognize like the power of any religion, we're not just going to say Mormonism. It could be any religion that's high up, big, fat, powerful, wealthy. Just you don't have to look far. I mean, they get into some weird things. It gets ritualistic. It gets um, all about money. It gets to be political. Yeah. When you start lining up with the World Economic Forum, like we've got problems, you know. Did you see the new director of communications for the for the LDS Corporation? It's no. A, it is a, a recent World Gosh. Economic Forum alumni. Wow. In, in that, why way, does that not surprise me? Well, because, <laughs> because satanic locals like President Nelson, Skull and Bones, Owl and Key, they recruit from among their own ranks. Uh, President Nelson and the new uh, communications director, they serve the same God as Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, and the rest of them. Yeah, no, that's not that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Like, that's not that's not going to align with God's plan for anyone. I'm yeah. pretty certain to eat the bugs is not what God really yeah. wanted us to do. I love saying um, out loud when I say those things, hoping that my that my corporate Mormon friends want to talk to me about. I know that they won't want to, but they realize it is indefensible to claim that President Nelson is a prophet of God while squirming and hiding at, at the idea. OK, do you trust other members of Skull and Bones? In other words, right. In other words, they are guaranteed. This is another thing that's just so clear in the Book of Mormon. If you build your foundation on those, it's guaranteed to collapse. Yeah, it's definitely not not the path you want to take. You you're I mean, regardless of what path you do take, I don't think that's the one. Like, let's be realistic here. God didn't put us here to do what? Serve others and you know, we're supposed to be serving for real, not not being under a foot, <clears throat> having our back being stomped on. Yeah. It's supposed to be um, a service like help helping up, right? We're supposed to help each other up, not stomp each other down. That's that blows my mind, but uh, not not so much with the Mormon church, but they're not hiding a lot anymore. They've kind of gone away from that. Yeah. And it's weird. to yeah, me. I, I, I think they've made the they have officially made the deals by which they plan to enter this new age of humanity. So they, they wow. care very little about what they may have proclaimed as truth in the past. Wow. Yeah, that's actually scary with the power that they do have and the knowledge and uh, different items that they own because of the fact that they're so involved in genealogy and you know, people's family bloodlines. It just really makes you wonder what they're up to. Oh, yes. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's good. 
For those who are wondering what they're up to, I will recommend First Nephi chapters 11 through 14. Yeah, it's not good. I don't think so. <laughs> so with that, I I think this was a good talk. I I was really happy that you came on and I wanted to be respectful of you and sure, actually you get your to, story. You could have so. been far more cantankerous and I would have loved you all the more for it. <laughs> no, I I actually appreciate where you're coming from because at the end of the day, our enemy is very similar, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> we're we're all against uh, the cabal. Yep. So you think we'll get a hangout in the same FEMA camp, right? Maybe. <laughs> well, I know we might get a hangout soon. Where's that going to be again? April sixth. It's going to be April sixth. Powerhouse MMA. Find me on Facebook. I'm going to be putting the link up very soon so you can buy tickets. There's going to be food. There's even going to be like scriptorian contests. So if you feel like you're a beefcake and, and your scriptural knowledge, there's going to be some of that. But get on out there. Powerhouse MMA, April 6th. Look me up on Facebook and I'll send you all the info. But yes, you show up and you can decide which of Jacob Hansen's limbs I will bring home with me. Ouch. I feel bad for him. Oh. <laughs> well, we will be there and let them know one more time where they can find you without limbs, without the Jacob's limbs. <laughs> on YouTube, look up Disciple of Christ or on Facebook, just type in Jacob Isbell, capital B in Isbell. And, um, awesome. and I will. And if you send me a friend request, I will be messaging you saying I can be forgetful to what do I owe the pleasure of your friend request. <laughs> And he will probably accept it because he's a very nice guy. So very, very you'll want to nice. follow him for all this fun stuff. And we, I mean, who wants to miss a fight? Who wants to miss that? Not me. I participate <laughs> in one. Uh, I, I well, a, I got your back. Well, you can you, tap me out. If you're... When people ask, what would Jesus do? Just realize overthrowing oh. the tables of the money changers and violently kicking out the religious snooty. That is among the realm of possibilities. I completely support Jesus's method in getting the, the evil money men driven out with violence. And there it is, folks. Jacob Isbell. And he's what you call a pneumo. Find his channel for more information. And I'll be dropping the links below in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. And have a blessed night. Blessed. Blessed. See, that was fun, wasn't that? <laughs>